Welcome back to the Chatter Heavy Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason. What's up? This is Casey. So today, we're going to have our third and final episode on the years about the warehouse. This venue that we ran from um, 2008-ish to about 2014, right? Yep. There we go. So this is kind of our third era um, where we left off in episode two. In case you didn't get to catch it, we um, were in downtown Chattanooga in a, a room that used to be called Club Fathom for a long time. Um, that we got to rent out and maybe had the most successful year of shows over our whole history. Um, but then tragically got kicked out by association thanks to um, a tragic shooting on Christmas Eve of 2011. Is that right? Yep, that's right. Yeah, okay. All right, so that's kind of where we're picking up there. So basically we are a homeless venue at this point. Um, the city of Chattanooga has made us – or basically made it to where you can't hold any events at all at uh, the building in 412 Market Street. Um, so, yeah, we got nowhere to go. Not sure what to do. So there's this new craze online about how to raise money, and that's definitely what we needed at the time. Um, since we didn't have any money coming in from from doing consistent shows, since we couldn't do shows, um, we needed to raise some money and fast so that we could try to get into – a new venue basically to help us with signing a new lease, um, being able to move equipment, um, repairing equipment, setting up a new stage, all kinds of stuff that went into um, buying insurance, all kinds of stuff to try to get us started. So we um, started a Kickstarter and this was in 20, let's see, we were just talking about 20. Okay. So 2011. So this would have been 2012. So there weren't really a lot of other platforms to do this kind of thing just yet. There's really only Kickstarter from what I can remember. Um, you didn't have Indiegogo and things like that where um, you could try to have people donate to raise money and then you still get to keep the money if you don't meet your goal, right? You had to, With Kickstarter, you have to set your goal. And within the certain amount of time that you set, if you don't make it, then you don't get the money. So it was a, definitely nerve-wracking. Um, Casey, what do you remember about that time? Um, I guess even just starting back is right when we got kicked out and then coming up with the idea to start a Kickstarter, how you came up with the number for the goal that we would need to kind of get our feet on the ground with a new venue um, and where we would go with that money if we met that goal. Yeah. First thing that kind of comes to mind uh, from that whole situation, we had one really awesome show coming up in January, right around the corner uh, with stick to your guns oh, and yeah. I see stars. Um, I about that. <laughs> so we were all excited about that show, but uh, we tried our best to move it to a different venue and tried to find a place for it. And we just couldn't make it happen, so unfortunately, it had to it had to be canceled. 
Um, going into that January 2012 there, I do remember uh, being very discouraged. Um, you know, we had a great year in downtown. Things were going so well. Finally, financially, we were breaking even and then even some months making I mean, not a lot of money. We're talking like a couple hundred, maybe $500 in a month. And then we would, that would allow us to upgrade some of our equipment that was either broken or barely hanging on. And we were slowly. Like what I want to like reiterate to people is that I know that doesn't sound like a lot of profit. Like, right. I mean, but it was a big deal to us because up to that point, that's like the most, that's the most profitable we'd ever been. Yeah, That's I mean, we knew. Yeah, for years we were hole. taking our own paychecks and putting it in. Yeah, and putting it back into the and, venue. And you know, three or four years into running a venue, we finally were not only breaking even, but making just enough to to repair things and just kind of maybe throw a couple new lights in the ceiling every other month or something like that. Place so, uh, cables, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So right. we were able to do a few little things, but. Still, everyone working was a volunteer. No one ever got paid uh, to actually right. run or uh, do audio or concessions to the door or anything like that. But um, so, oh, you we, know, speaking of that, this is kind of a Eastridge story. But I remember I have these vivid memories. Maybe I think two different times in Eastridge where I was helping run the door, and I had um, kids that weren't, I guess, regulars that had come to a show, and. Um, approach either me at the door or uh, maybe somebody at concessions and ask for an application because oh, yeah, they thought sure. that they <laughs> could work there and get paid to work there. Right. And all that. And it's just, it was such a funny concept at the time to yeah. me because we were so in it. But if you look at it from the outside looking in, you know, well, you know, if you're a kid, like, why wouldn't you think that? Right. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. All these other people, you're close to your age like helping run right. this venue and wearing whatever they want and having a good time. Like I'd yeah. probably do the same thing. It's just funny yeah. to be looking back on it. For sure. Yeah. So, um, so we, you know, January, 2012, we kind of all talked a lot and lots of conversation. We decided to launch a fundraiser on Kickstarter. Um, we tossed around ideas about what the goal would be, what could actually really help what we, what was actually feasible, but also uh, an amount of money that would take some faith and um, take us like really believing in the community to actually reach that. So we decided to put it at $10,000. We had a great campaign, 30 days long. Um, We had a couple of gifts, one particular gift out of California, I believe, uh, was a guy that we had never met. we we didn't know who he was. Um, when we read his name, we were all like, who is that? And uh, so he turns out he was either a doctor or he was in he was in the medical field out in California. He heard about our story online and he decided to give $2,000 towards um, towards our cause or whatever. So that, that was, was um, close to the end of the 30 days too. Where right, yeah. It was like day 22, we 24, somewhere through there. Yeah. yeah. And we were still... A- I felt like a good ways from meeting the goal. Right. Right. So we were all sweating it out at that point. Right. So seeing that, I remember was a huge relief. It gave us a nice boost of faith and confidence. Yeah. So it's almost um, like it pushed us forward. Basically it started this momentum right towards the end of this little sprint, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which really got a bunch of other people kind of excited and and on board. Right. 
Right. Yeah. But we had over 120 different backers. Um, our local community really stepped up and all the people who had been coming for years really helped out. Oh, so, um, so we ended up raising 12,200, uh, I think 12, a little over 12 to, um, of the $10,000 goal. So it was a huge success. We were so excited and just ready for the next open door to be able to say, okay, we've got some funds. Now Kickstarter did take, uh, they took out, I don't know if you caught taxes or their fee, which right. was 10%. So we immediately lost, uh, 1200 of that. Yeah. 1200 of that you lost. I how high it was. Right. It was like for using their platform and for all the, the, the fees behind the scenes kind of things. Right. So anyway, so we actually ended up with what, 10, uh, or 11,000, like almost cool. on the dot, 11,000. So, um, Oh, and then I do want to mention, so when you launch a Kickstarter campaign, um, it gives you the option to make a video about it, right, to have on their site. And so a guy that had been coming to shows since the beginning um, named Michael Clark would come and film shows all the time, put them up on YouTube, um, which probably also helped garner more attention for the venue just in general over the years. Yeah. Um, But he always did a great job. Um, He's like a professional uh, wedding videographer for years, um, but was just really into it. It was a really cool guy and offered up his services to us for free to help us make this video. So he, him helping us make that video to get the message out um, was a, a huge help. So we're definitely thankful for his help in that. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Um, so after oh, you want to talk about some of the perks, like um for donating do you remember some of that stuff like we got uh, t-shirts and coupons and all kinds of stuff we did yeah we did like our own gift cards called saw bucks that we thought was cute and funny uh we did shirts <laughs> oh, for and- those that don't know so we called them saw bucks because our our logo has a uh, where the o would be for in warehouse was a saw blade yeah and so huh. we called them saw bucks <laughs> yeah it's kind of dumb but it's it's cool um, so then we, um, t-shirts, um, I think we even oh, and t-shirts, like a, we were able to print ourselves. Thanks to your t-shirt printing company at the time. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, and then with the saw books, how you could use those coupons, they were basically, you could use them in place of actual money, right. To get into, uh, upcoming concerts or to get it or right. to buy cons- food at concessions. Like once we got a venue going, right. right? So that's how people could use a them. couple of the top tier, like givers just got like tickets for life basically to any show. Oh, that yeah, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. So there was like four or five people that for the foreseeable future for the next two years of the venue, they could just walk in basically whenever. And that was, yes. that was awesome. And forever guest listed. That's right. So, um, so after that, every day, I remember I was working a job at a local print shop and every day I was on Zillow, I was on Craigslist, I was emailing, I was uh, just talking to tons of people with um, potential places um, that might be, you know, some type of facility for us. Um, everything from an old church to a random warehouse space, a garage, even like looked at a lot of strip malls because that's where we had came from. That was kind of our roots in East Ridge. So I looked at a lot of those kind of spaces for lease and for rent and um, just tons of 
red tape. Every single time I would go meet with a, a realtor or a landlord, it would be like, yeah, this could work except for there's only six parking spaces. This could work except for there's only, you know, one bathroom and the place is huge and it could fit like 600 people or something. So there was just, because at this point we almost had bigger parameters we were trying to fill. Like we had garnered this reputation within um, this kind of music community over the country and with booking agencies that we could hold a certain amount of people at concerts, right. Right, And a certain caliber of band. And so now we're trying to find a place that would hold at least that many people, if not more to, um, to help contribute to possible growth and stuff also. Right. And so it almost made it even harder, like maybe the most difficult process to find a building that we had in the whole time of being a warehouse. Yeah. We had a lot of expectations at that point for sure. Right. Yeah, we even had this dumb inside joke between a lot of the staff where we'd be riding around together, running errands or doing whatever. And we'd see a for rent sign and just some, any kind of business in a strip mm-hmm. mall or something. And we would just casually point and say, oh, new warehouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just all the time. That was so goofy. Yeah. Now, uh, so a couple um a couple people kind of stepped up that year early, kind of maybe the spring 20, 2012 there. One For guy sure. uh, by the name of Dale Hall, he was a pastor in Cleveland at a church called Sacred Heart Church. I remember he reached out to me, I think online on Facebook, and he just said, hey, I'd love to meet with you and let you look at our churches using it as a facility to host um, concerts. And turns out Dale was – uh, kind of from the old school uh, punk and metal scene. And he had been listening to the, a lot of underground music for years and years. And he had been to Cornerstone Festival a couple of times, which I had been to, a bunch of our staff had been to. So uh, there was a huge connection there. Just as when I first met him, I mean, it was just brotherly love type connection. And, and he offered for us to use his space there in Cleveland um, where he was uh, hosting a church. So, I don't have the exact date, but sometime that summer, early summer 2012, we had um, at least two, maybe three shows uh, under the the name Sacred Heart Church uh, there in Cleveland on Second Street. And uh, right, we didn't I, actually call it like the warehouse shows or anything. Right, it was just Sacred Heart just, Cleveland. Right, right, I think is what we mm-hmm. what we did. But uh, I think Strength and What Remains played one of those shows, if I remember right. I just remember having to move all the furniture around. They had like tons of couches and things. Right, yeah. I forgot about two of that. Yeah. <laughs> they had this tiny, um, yeah, this, um, this, you know, in one corner of the room was that tiny bathroom, but then the, like the just straight opposite um, corner was where we would put all those chairs. Right. And, um, the yeah, back, like barely uh, trying to fit everything. Yeah, it was a very oddly shaped room. But uh, yeah, yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, kind of yeah. since this is going to become what people knew as Warehouse Cleveland 
ended up being the last place that we had warehouse shows eventually. Um, Yeah. Kind of for people that didn't ever go to one kind of describe um, what it was like outside of that building. Sometimes that was just as important as the inside. Yeah. Um, and then, That's where we were more than inside. We were outside. Yeah. Uh, yeah it was a historic uh, flat iron building in downtown Cleveland, Tennessee. So it was only a couple blocks away from Lee University's campus. So um, that had some, you know, uh, some good perks of just drawing a lot of kids in from the, from the college. Also, um, we were on Second Street, uh, one street over First Street in Cleveland, there was a recording studio for about 10 years and there was also right. a different venue uh, years earlier called Thirsty Thursdays. We talked about in episode one um, right. and they, they had kind of, there had been music going on around that area of town for, for years and years. So we were kind of just on the tail end of a lot of that and were able to book some more shows and kind of keep something going. There was also a venue, um, in that same space, I think a couple years before us and, uh, the downtown sound. I don't know if you remember hearing about that and yeah, and yeah. another venue called the lion's den. I think a, a year or two earlier, it was over on first street. Um, right. That, uh, our boy Derek Dixon and Brandon Ray, I think helped him with that, but yep. a couple guys did that venue too. So, so anyway, so that's kind of the area of Cleveland. There's been some music for over a decade, Right sure. off of Lee University's campus, the building itself, old, very small, just a corner of a building. Uh, the The technical fire capacity was fifty, um, so it was it was pretty small, the smallest thing that we had we had done. But so, um, just to reiterate, in case people kind of glossed over that, we um, got kicked out of a room that in downtown Chattanooga, um, where our technical capacity was 280, but right. we had a room across the hall where we could hold concerts also that held a thousand people. Right. And now we are in a room that uh, will only um, at capacity technically for according to the city of Cleveland will hold 50 people. Right. Many times we had maybe about 75. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's a big, big difference. Big difference for sure. So um so we did a few shows there under Sacred Heart, and then I remember the pastor uh, just telling us that he was, um, I think, either moving his church to Chattanooga, or maybe at that point he was taking a job at a church in Chattanooga as a, as a pastor. But either way, uh, that they were moving out and um, asked us if we wanted to talk to the landlord and see if we wanted to basically take over their lease in um us just sign right over. And as they were moving out, we would move in. So we talked about it and we felt like it was a good move. And and so we did. Um, and that was October of 2012. Um, we decided to open up warehouse, uh, Cleveland and some people remember this, but that's when we bought the, uh, the massive uh, saw blade that weighed like 150 pounds, <laughs> the saw blade sign uh, warehouse that uh, that hung outside that that venue there in Cleveland. So October was grand opening, and um, we were trying to think of who all played the grand opening, but we know I know Amity played it. Um, Tiraslin, Behold the Brave played one of the nights. We had like a two night right. grand opening, right? 
mainly because of the capacity. Right. And Uh, both nights, didn't we do two shows both nights? I think. I know on the Amity night, we did two shows. We did a 7 p.m. and a 9 p.m. You guys played twice. Oh, okay. And um, the other bands only played once, but you guys headlined both shows. There was a 7 p.m. to 9, and then at 9 p.m., a whole new group of people, and we did 9 to 11 p.m. or whatever for show two. Yeah. Do you remember how those went? Like, did we just did we sell out each one at capacity? I think yeah, we were for sure over fifty uh, for both. Yes, for each one. Yeah, and um, and then we had it was a two night uh, thing, so it was like a Friday and Saturday night grand opening. Yeah, we probably one night was really heavy. One night was right indie rock night. Exactly. Yeah. So okay. So uh, no, they went great. I think they went well. Uh, the rent at that building in Cleveland, um, if I remember correctly, was three fifty a month. Okay. So that was a huge perk because we were paying, you know, fifteen hundred. Exactly. Now all of a sudden we're paying three hundred and fifty dollars, which right. but I mean it all kind of evened out because of the size of the room it was just so hard to, you know, to make enough money to make rent still, uh, just because it was such a smaller room and still pay bands and all that all the other things as well. So so um Exactly. Yeah, a lot of the things we've gone over with running a venue so far is now just, you know, how it kind of continued to get bigger and bigger and now all of a sudden is shrinking. On right. Us, right. Yeah. yeah. Kind and, of all of it together at the same time. And there were some people who came and were kind of bummed out like, oh man, this isn't what I thought or this, right. this wasn't Especially what I thought it would be. Right. We did this yeah. massive campaign and we had some money finally, a little bit of money. I mean, but those who, you know, own their own house now and are listening to this or that have looked at renting space or owning their own business, they know that eleven thousand uh, dollars in the big scheme of things doesn't go very far. Um, you know, we were paying for storage. We were paying um, a lot of the equipment and stuff we had to store it over all those months. And then we did have to sign a lease and we had to when you're turning water on and utilities and internet and everything before you know it, you spent two or 3000 just to get up and going. And then insurance, um, whatever, whatever kind of insurance we had to have with the city to be able to hold events, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cause now we're dealing with a different city where we were in Chattanooga and now we're in Cleveland. We had Um, some debts as as well. Um, Right, just a little yes, bit of debt yes. for leftover from the downtown space. I can't remember what what it was and what it was for like specifically. Probably yeah. equipment and things. I'm not sure, Tom, because we've had to replace speakers. Right, you wouldn't believe how many times. So we first <laughs> repair yeah. repair the stage, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, let's talk about Cleveland. So what are some of your what are some memories you have in that space of maybe some notable bands that came through that ended up playing kind of this really small room right um, yeah some good memories of that time we had i know we had the band uh gideon play there and i know we did over 100 tickets for that so that right. was a lot of fun and extremely gideon, hot. we've probably yeah. mentioned on each episode so far because Maybe. they were basically a local band as much as they had played for us but yeah. they were from alabama um but they're bigger than ever good for them
So then we had uh, the band Fit for a King, which at the time was a decently smaller band, which went Unsigned on to be at the now, time, just right. touring on their own. But right. now they're one of the the big money Solid movers State. for Solid State Records, which is very cool. Yeah, right, right. Oh, and our um, buddy Daniel Gailey's in uh, yeah. Fit for a King now. Yeah. So the bands that were just tried and true over so many years was uh, for sure Comrades the three-piece uh, instrumental band and then still right. glow uh which they're both from kind of up near uh maryland Frederick, yeah. fredericksburg virginia slash baltimore maryland area um and then tiras lean which was ran with all those guys and we're friends with all them um i put down let's see the band you can't miss the bear was a local band from cleveland area that did a lot uh played a lot of shows there everybody loves the hero which you told me uh, went on. I, di- I didn't remember this, but went on to uh, form Fault Lines. Yeah, two of the um, members from Everybody Loves the Hero. They were Everybody Loves the Hero was kind of a very metal-ish band at the time. And, right. Um, Bubba and Corey. Bubba played drums and Corey did vocals, and then they went on to help form um, a new, pretty prominent band for Chattanooga since kind of the decline of the venue right. in Chattanooga um, has been probably the bands that have done the best since then um, called right. Fault Lines where Corey still does vocals and now Bubba plays guitar. Right. Um, so very cool that they kind of got their start at even to our smallest right. venue. And Chris, yeah. the drummer, he was in, um, was in cartographer. Right? Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And then Joe obviously had been in many bands over the years. Yeah, all the way back to Eastridge. So that band yeah. cartographer, I go in, um, I go in that restaurant, Jason's Deli, about once every two weeks or whatever. And Aaron, the guitar player from uh, from cartographer, he's like the yeah. manager of Jason's Deli. So no, oh, no way. I go in there and talk to him about shredding guitar occasionally. He's a good guy. So, yeah, oh, really. Does he still play some? I don't know. Uh, I think he told me he still plays some. Yeah, but um, awesome. Yeah, he's a cool guy. But cool. Um, well for himself. That's awesome. The couple bands I think that played every venue that we had, which we'll get to in a bit, I think Amity for sure, Behold the Brave, and uh, the band Children 18-3, which we ended up being friends with. Just great, a great three-piece like uh, pop-punk band that were always really good to us and just a great band. Cover your eyes, she said. So to review, Casey means like over the whole time that we had venues in different cities from 08 to 2014, like bands that played every single venue, Um, which there's going to be one more venue we're going to get to here in a second that we read briefly. Um, But yeah, let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about Cleveland. So, yeah, we had all these um, we had some great bands come through on tour we had great connections with still want to play for us and ended up playing at the smaller venue. Um, and then uh, a lot of great locals, like you were saying, some to Cleveland that ended up being, you know, that maybe didn't play for us a lot when we were in Chattanooga or Eastridge because they were more local to Cleveland that now were able to shine in their right. city, which is very cool. Yeah. Um, and then I know that you have a big connection just to the city of Cleveland anyways, after speaking, 
spending so much time up there with going right. to shows and playing shows at Thirsty Thursdays, uh, recording at First Street Studio. Tell me a little bit about the significance for you personally, like being in Cleveland. Yeah, it was. Yeah, there was some nostalgia there, and there was uh, a kind of a deeper connection with me and I know also for Andy Goodner as well, who was in Amity and and also within. Um, we had, um, my old band had recorded a couple of EPs and a full-length record there on First Street. Um, I remember the first time I saw As Cities Burn was on the university's campus at a house called The House. I don't know if we talked about that in episode one or not. I don't but, think so, yeah. Um, that was the Being first time I'd ever seen that band. And then a couple months later, they got booked at Thirsty Thursdays right down the road in downtown Cleveland as well. Um, there was just something around that time. You know, there was a couple of folks in Cleveland booking shows and in bands that were just um, kind of uh, at the time they probably didn't know, but they were pivotal to uh, kind of me start wanting to start a venue, wanting to start a band because I was around it in Cleveland around, let's just say 2002 to 2004. Right. And, um, so for sure, Tyler or at first street studio, which went on to be, um, Jeremy Webb ended up opening a studio in the same space later on. Right. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing stories about, um, bands playing at a, a burger joint called the spot, um, uh, supposedly, uh, under oath beloved played there, um, 2002, I think. And then, um, I know Copeland recorded their first EP at first street studio upstairs in some apartments and the chariot did like a EP of sorts up there as well. So there was just a lot of underground music going on around that first street area. And some of it was because of Lee university, like the ties to like people who were going to school there or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember my buddy Bobby Fisher was the singer of the band, the Belgar Saints, and he booked that As Cities Burn show that was in um, in the house there on Lee University's campus. And um, also uh, another guy that was going to school there uh, in the intrusive, Caleb, uh, a guy named Caleb, was helping book shows. And, and uh, my friend Jeremiah was there through those years. And so anyways, um, all that to say, yes, it definitely meant something to me and my journey. So I it was cool to be back there on second street right there where a lot of my personal journey had started in 2002, 2004. And it just felt like coming home kind of to me. I know a lot of other people didn't feel that way. They felt like, why would you leave Chattanooga and go to Cleveland? Right. But, uh, (laughs) but for me, it was, uh, there was a tie there and there was a, a really neat community and, and some people there that had been there for years that still supported us. So so it felt like coming home. I got you. Awesome. And then, um, so we're we're in this spot now. We're getting comfortable here in Cleveland, even in this tiny room. And like you were saying, we're having to keep a lot of our actual equipment and gear in storage because we just didn't need it in this smaller room. Right. Um, but here soon, we were going to need it. Um, so Tell me um, a little bit about what you remember about the next three months after starting in Cleveland um, and how that got us into partnering with Camp Joy out in Harrison, Tennessee and being in the the biggest room that the warehouse had ever been associated with. Yeah, so I remember in November 2012, 
I uh, got a call from a guy named Tim at Camp Joy, which was associated at the time with Highland Park Baptist Church, right. which was in downtown Chattanooga uh, on the same campus as Tennessee Temple. And um, through a friend of a friend, he got a hold of me and um, just kind of heard our story. He had a heart for a lot of the, he was an older gentleman, but maybe in his fifties at the time, but he had a heart for what we were doing for uh, not only the local music, but also the ministry side of it. And he really wanted to see something uh, be done on the campus that he, he had a really big say in. He was like a, um, I don't know if he was an elder of the church there or Exactly. But he was one of the main guys helping put on uh, Camp Joy, which was their summer summer camp for for students and for for elementary and middle school, high school students. So anyway, so he he gets a hold of us. Here's our story, meets with us. And he wants us to launch a basically a second venue at his uh, at their facility there on uh, Hunter Road in Harrison. So we begin those conversations in November. Come December, we finally figure out like all the details and get things um, kind of in writing. And they had some things they that we needed to, um, you know, commit to. And they were they had some commitments on their end, but uh, we were extremely excited. They had a skate park kind of already built in that they had already been working on for a while. And right. Was yeah. Already so, up and yeah. Let's let's talk about the room itself. So, and about the excitement. Right. So, it was basically a large gymnasium. Um, sure. Was kind of how it was set it up. Right. Real tall ceilings. Yeah. Um, kind of had basketball floor ish kind of thing. What you'd see right. in kind of a modern church now. Um, but all along the right side, when you walked in from the back, um, was a legitimate uh, skate park. Right. Which blew our minds. We were so excited about it because it gave us this almost this little extra um, extra thing to do, basically. It made us feel more like kind of what our original vision was of being like a teen center, right. like uh, rather than just a concert hall. But now we were able to offer people maybe that even weren't necessarily as interested in the concerts or the music that was going on but still somewhere to come and have fun and to have like a skate park right it was really yeah. cool so they don't have to just stand there in between bands they can watch you know and we knew there weren't going to be a lot of skaters but we uh we're like well even if there's only five or six people skating it gives the other hundred something to do they're actually watching right. other people skate and it's just interactive and and it just was a really cool vibe and so, and then in that time where you're talking about where we're getting everything in writing between then and the time that we had the first show in January, uh, we had to put a lot of work in to get that room ready to hold concerts um, and concerts that we were able to um, promote, like, and have a decent amount of people come to. But it was such a large room. We were having to run a curtain across the 
back third of it, I guess, maybe to cut some of it off, to cut some sound off. We had to build a whole tall stage and it was, um, ended up being right in front of an actual, like, um, what do they call it? It's like a bowl, like a skate park bowl, where it's just a right. circle that yeah. you dip into. Yeah. So we just built that in front of that bowl. Right. Um, just pretty cool. And then, but then actually on the other side were, um, all these different rooms that I guess if you are familiar with church or grew up in church, it almost felt like they were like little Sunday school rooms, right? It's kind of how they yeah. were dressed and everything, right? Or nurseries, things like that, right? right. Um, and so we would use those rooms as almost like green rooms for bands. I would use it as an office to do uh, uh, business, to take care of money, all that kind of stuff, right? Basically yeah. just private spaces. So that was kind of the space in that room. Oh, and then um, if you went past the stage area um, and kept going alongside the skate park, there was um, another room that was almost like a second entry where you could come in on the side of the building, the backside um, that was kind of like a, um, a welcome center that had like a small bar where they did um, uh, like a gift shop and concessions and stuff also. Um, yeah. Didn't we have like a full-fledged access to a full-fledged cafeteria also like on the ground? We did. It was in another, another building, but um, there was right. uh, a kind of like a skate shop there in the, in the main near the skate park, there was like a little skate shop. So our friend, Jeremy, he had, a, he actually built a few decks and had uh, some things there for sale and stuff. That, so a kid right, could come right. in and buy a full skate deck and get it set up by him and then start skating right there. So, Right. It was cool. Um, so I didn't. It's very cool. It's very different. I don't think I told you, but um, I know I hadn't mentioned it, but I think in November of that year, 2012, we actually took a trip to Rocket Town and met with their staff um, and got like a full tour behind the scenes. And uh, we met during a weekday, um, took a trip up there, me and Tim and my friend Bryant and the pastor of uh, Church of the Highlands at the time. And we kind of want, we wanted to show them Rocket Town so that they would understand like the vision, uh, basically some of the vision what behind we what, what we did yeah. already and also what, where we could go with this new space. So there was a lot of uh, influence there from Rocket Town and what they were doing. I they thought, thought this, it was amazing. Um, right. I thought the story was going to be really funny because I was going to tell you that I was there, but this oh, was a weren't. different trip. Yeah. No, nah, you weren't. <laughs> there. Yeah. Me and you went and hung out with Wes one day. Uh, I got you. Yeah. Cool. Probably years before that. And right. kind of did the same thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So December 2012, um, we basically got everything, started getting everything ready. Like you said, building the stage. We had to cart, uh, they wanted the stage carpeted. So we were doing that. Uh, we were just helping out a ton of just labor and uh, finances as well. We were partnering with them. and uh, Yeah, because we were having to, together. Well, we're having to set up, um, sound for this room right right which like i was describing is basically a gymnasium so it's a lot different than right the concrete like floor concert halls we've been in up right. to this point yeah right so you we just needed kinda, a lot more lighting a lot more sound yeah exactly and so that's where a lot of that money went like and more than you know because the stuff that we had were only accommodated a room that held up to 280 people and now we're right. in a room that do you remember the cap for that room it was, it was odd. I mean, technically the room could have held at least a thousand, 
but the parking just wasn't adequate for that. So because of the parking, it really held us back and it probably only held about 300, 350. And we, we actually had that for a couple of shows, but, um, but yeah, the parking at the time just wasn't great. Um, they didn't really have a lot of other space on campus to park people. Right. Um, it's a small so, gravel lot that maybe right. could hold like 30 cars. Yeah. And then, maybe then that, they had maybe like an 20. actual parking lot as well, but, but yeah. Um, and now I drive by there every day now cause I live out here on Hunter road okay. and, uh, they've, they've done more to their campus and it looks great and they've done a good job. So, um, so yeah, so that leads us up to January, 2013 grand opening of warehouse Harrison. Yeah, tell me about that show and kind of how it felt to finally um, be in like a huge room with something closer than ever to your original vision, mm-hmm. um, all kind of coming together on that night. Tell me about how it felt, how you felt the turnout was, how you felt um, profitability wise, like with money now coming out of raising a bunch of money to finally find a new spot, but then having to spend a majority of it to get all this going and then how the future looked at that time. If you remember. Yeah. We were all extremely excited. I remember, um, the turnout was great. We did over 300 that grand opening. Mm-hmm. Um, my old band that had broken up years prior decided we were going to do a reunion show uh, we Nothing brings our, people out like a within reunion. Yeah, I guess so. So uh, <laughs> we, um, our friends becoming the archetype, uh, which our buddy Cody was in at that point as well. Uh, they came up, uh, most of them were living around Atlanta. They right. came up and played. They uh, did a great job. Behold the Brave played that show. Our local homies, uh, Rigoletto played that right. show, which was a great local band as well. Mm-hmm. And then another uh, guy, uh, Kyle Crownover, I think they opened the show. He had a band that he put together. Mm-hmm. So um, it was kind of a mixed show, mixed genre show, but it went very well. People, there, were, of course, there weren't a lot of people skating, but I, if I remember correctly, maybe four or five people. Right. But it just added a whole new vibe and a whole new thing. Oh, for sure. Um, the energy was awesome. People were extremely excited. Um, yeah, I felt like a lot of people that came, even if they didn't necessarily like the bands, they were excited to see a lot the of new venue. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because this this was the grand opening. No one knew what right. it looked like, right? Uh, anything like that, other than the people that were involved, right? Right. We had and posted so, some teaser teaser photos, I think, on Facebook, maybe. Right. So there was some hype, but um, but no, it was it was great, and um, financially, the show that show did well. Um we didn't have a lot of overhead financially at this new space. Um, that was one huge perk that we were dealing with. Um, we did one of the things though. we were having to hire an off duty police officer and we also had to carry a uh, certain insurance that the church was asking us to do, which, oh, which was pretty pricey, but the church wasn't charging us a large rent. It was very low rent. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were really going out of their way to help us out as well. So, um, so financially, um, you know, for the most part, and Harrison was was a really good thing, and uh, it was really positive, and um, allowed us to do what we were doing and keep moving forward. So for sure. So now we're in January of 2013, right? Yep. Okay. So now let's talk about. We've got this brand new venue, this huge room, 
in Harrison, Tennessee. We're running a second venue for smaller shows um, in Cleveland, Tennessee. So a good probably 40 to 50 mile difference there. Um, And then also at the same time, we're getting offers to do other kinds of shows, even bigger shows that we're having to hold at, at other different sites. So let's talk about the span from January 2013 to about April 2013 and the run of shows that we had then. It was pretty nuts when we were kind of reviewing before we started recording when we right. look back on it now. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Uh Definitely our biggest five months of being a venue was from January 2013 through um, April. Um, in in Harrison, we kind of were looking over flyers earlier, but we had Becoming the Archetype. We had Disciple and Fireflight on Valentine's Day. We had uh, the rapper Trip Lee, um, who did over 300 tickets as well. We had um, the band Project 86, the band The Chariot, um, the band Children 18.3. All of that was at uh, at the Harrison space there. Correct. And, um, yeah, was, we were, as far as booking goes, we were, we were on it and we're getting tons of offers and things were going well. Right. And so then, so that was in Harrison, but at the same time, like I was saying, we're running shows in Cleveland. We're having to run shows offsite also at other places to accommodate different um, kinds of bands to accommodate different kinds of crowds. Um, We had to run a show specifically at um, city church of Chattanooga. And what month was that? Yeah, that was in March of 2013. Okay. So tell me a little bit about, um, what you remember about running that show, who was on it, um, what all kind of happened that day. Um, maybe if you remember kind of getting this offer, kind of what it meant right. for the warehouse and for you, like for Scenic City Booking. Uh, tell yeah. me a little bit about that. Yeah, we got, um, like you said, we've been getting some really good offers and the bands were just growing and growing. Um of course, back in downtown, we did Striper, we did Under Oath, we did For Today, and those are some of the biggest shows we had done to date. Right but then, at this new space, um, we got a email offering us the band Thousand Foot Crutch. Gonna get this party started. They were on tour with um, direct support from Brian Head Welch, the uh, guitar player from Korn, and his new band, Love and Death. Um, I, I think at the time they weren't even called Love and Death. It was just right. they were. At the time. Just yeah, they were head. still a little new. Yeah. 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 They were just under the name Head. And then um, you had the Letter Black, which is a female fronted rock band, and then the band The Wedding, which was some of our boys. And we, we kind of knew them from over the years. Over the years. Yeah. Six or seven times. Yeah. Mm hmm. So, um, so that was that tour. Um, we put our local friends on there, covered scars, and um, the we uh, originally the tour was booked for Harrison for the for the warehouse uh, at Camp Joy, and um, it quickly was getting out of hand. Our pre sales were, uh, I don't know, maybe a weekend we were at like three hundred pre sales. So right. we started freaking out on our end, like, oh no, this is. 
So this, this is, is going to be is, way too big, right? Right. This, this is a weekend when we probably had um, another two or three months, probably at least, that we had been promoting the show. Right. Where we've already got that many tickets. So, yeah. And when you're in the um, in the business of promoting um, live music, you know that a lot of times your um, your pre sales end up being indicative of kind of how many people are going to show up. A lot of times you can kind of count on if you get so many pre-sales, then maybe um, almost that many people are just going to sh- walk up also. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so we were already starting to expect there's going to be a lot of people, especially with that much interest that early. That early on, right. So we made the decision to move the show to City Church, which is where most of us as the staff were going to church at the time. Mm-hmm. And um the gym there holds about 900 um, and there's a, there's a sprinkler system. There's adequate bathrooms. There's plenty of parking. So that's kind of the decision we, we decided to go with, although there's no PA system and there's no lighting at all. So, so we, we knew that there was big challenges. um, But at the end of the day, that show ended up doing 920, or so tickets, uh, which by far was our biggest show that we had ever done. And, um, so that's just, um, paid tickets. So not counting. Right. Comps the, and everything. Right. Yeah. Staff comps. So we're probably close to a thousand people. Yeah. We're, we're at a thousand with bands and staff and everything, but for sure. But, um, the show went great. Um, I do remember, at one point they were pushing the PA so hard that it was like frying some of the amplifiers. And we did get a, um, we got a few calls about the sound from the hotel across the street. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a few cops that showed up. So it's not a good show unless the cops show up at church, right. you know? <laughs> so, uh, I remember, uh, a buddy of mine running into Brian head Welch, like in a hallway. And, uh, he's just such an, odd but awesome guy <laughs> so right. he was just kind of we were kind of starstruck and like oh dude there he is but um <laughs> such a cool guy and super nice and um the whole show just went great thousand foot crutch was uh, amazing to work with um the show did very well financially it did very well um uh, the agents were there they drove down from nashville who booked the show or who who worked with us to book the show and um they loved it and thought it was great and um, I almost, uh, and I say almost, it was like this close. I actually got offered, but it just never happened. Uh, out of, because of that gig, we got offered POD and oh, it was man. on Cinco de Mayo, like the next year or something. Yeah. And, uh, I was like losing my mind, but it just, because of routing and because of the way everything worked out, it just couldn't make it happen. But, um, that was the time that I almost got to book POD, but. Anyways, what a time so, for those that don't time. know yeah. that Casey is a huge POD fan. Yeah. Oh, dude, if you're not, why are you even listening to this? I mean, come on. Oh, no. Sorry. No POD fans allowed. I uh, know. I'm just messing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was our biggest show to date, that Thousand Foot Crutch show. Yeah. Wish this away so maybe you took my monster away all around me. All right, and so then that went really well at City Church. I guess we didn't ever do another show at City Church, did we? Uh, I did a couple 
years later I did a hip hop concert and since then I've done a few. Um, but yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And so like I was saying between that, um, January and April in 2013, we were doing shows kind of at multiple venues and somewhere else we ended up having to kind of use because, um, maybe it had the certain kind of bands that, um, almost con- um, contractually contractually mm-hmm. is that how you say that you got it yeah great um we were obligated where we couldn't have certain kinds of bands in harrison um, right. at the warehouse at camp joy and then sometimes those bands also were too big for the room in cleveland and so we kind of ran into a problem we didn't know where to hold these bands that we were getting offers for that we wanted to bring to our area um and so we ended up at this place in georgia called the cloud springs deli which previously had been um basically you know it's just a mom and pop kind of deli place that had great sandwiches but also did bingo during the week and Mm -hmm. um uh pro wrestling shows on the weekends and so um we talked them into letting us run some concerts there. And we actually had some decent names. And in this um, span of time that we're talking about, we actually hosted Norma Jean at this deli in Georgia randomly. We'd only had Norma Jean once before. um, And that was in downtown Chattanooga, uh, which was actually one of the the better shows when we were downtown at 412 Market Street. Um, But Norma Jean was always such a big deal. I mean, me and you, would even drive out of town to go and just to go and see Norma Jean because they were one of our favorite bands. Um, and then especially for me, cause they were a big influence on my band in particular. Um, and so, and we actually got to play with them at that show at the deli. So that, that show in particular, I have really fond memories of, and it meant a lot because we were um, originally, we were direct support, meaning we were going to play right before Norma Jean, but we had a, a last minute add on from their agency for a band called ice nine kills, which is actually pretty big now. So it's kind of funny that <laughs> they played at this random deli in Georgia. Yeah. Um, but what do you remember about that show and about kind of getting things started with um, George and the cloud Springs deli? Um, I don't remember a whole, whole lot about that show, to be honest. Um, I had to go look it up to see when and where we had, uh, had held that show. But I know that, um, the first show I ever booked at the deli was actually, I think a year before that is around 2012. Oh, really? And it was a plea for purging as hell retreats. Yeah. That show came before Uh, that was the first show I had ever booked there. And um, before, gotcha. even before I booked that show, uh, there was a, a couple other guys um, in a couple of local metal bands that were hosting shows there, mm-hmm. kind of a smaller scale. But uh, I remember when we held that plea show, it was the, a lot of people's first time ever being at the deli because um, we had a pretty good turnout. And that kind of sparked a whole new idea yeah. of hosting more shows at the Cloud Springs Deli, I, I think. And I'm not taking credit for that by any means, but it just, that show, a lot of people came out to, we did over 150 tickets and, um, everybody was like, Oh, this place is cool. And this is, this is a good place to host shows now. So it kind of right, sparked. Yeah. And I then it kind of became a thing after that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But, um, so anyway, so Norma Jean show is there and I don't remember much about it. I remember, uh, I'm sure it got wild and crazy for a couple songs. Yeah, you're not getting under my skin. 
I don't think anybody got hurt badly or I don't think we lost a lot of money or I would remember it. But since I don't really remember much about it, I don't think anything too bad happened. <laughs> I'm glad that's where your brain goes is to try to remember oh, if anyone got hurt. Right, right, yeah. Some other notable bands we booked there were Stray from the Path and Backtrack. Um, who else? Maybe O Sleeper? I don't remember. Yeah, we. Uh, but that was like later on, I think in 2014. Okay. Uh, we had the Blood and Fire Fest there, but it wasn't branded as Warehouse. It was kind of a right, right. Thing, so, yeah, but yeah, but that just kind of shows kind of what a crazy time that we had at the time where we were we were doing shows in Harrison, we're doing shows in Cleveland, and now we're doing shows in North Georgia. We're doing shows with City Church, um, all within this four month span right 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 it's pretty crazy um and then kind of to cap things off there i guess it would have been in april of 2013 we hosted project 86 in harrison and that ended up being our last show there unfortunately for kind of a number of reasons but kind of looking back on it it almost seems more like it was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back with our relationship with them at the time. Um, Tell me what you kind of remember about that show in particular, maybe kind of what was going on with our relationship with with them at the time and kind of the agreement we had and um, as far as what we could do, what we couldn't do, and maybe why they wanted to part ways with us at that time. Yeah, so I actually wasn't at that that particular show. Oh, sure. Pass the blame. I do. Yeah, I do remember um, we had made an agreement on a curfew and I want to say it was 10 p.m. Might have been 1030. I don't remember. I think it was 10. And I know that that show went about 15 minutes over curfew. So when I got the phone call a couple of days later, uh, just kind of complaining and just telling me that, hey, I don't know if this is going to work out this whole partnership long term. Um, and kind of like we've talked on our end, this was the church speaking that, uh, we want to, uh, you know, go ahead and, you know, in this partnership and you guys, you know, have, you know, you guys go do your thing in Cleveland and at these other different, different venues that we were booking at. And, um, we're going to kind of do our own thing here. So kind of like an easy way to say, you know, we want to part ways, you know, you guys are done here, uh, whatever. Um, the relationship was okay. Um, it, it kind of came out of nowhere. I know it shocked me and you at the time. Right. Uh, we were just kind of like, uh, we, we didn't understand. We didn't really get it. Um, and it, we thought that there was such a good thing there, um, that it was a great partnership and we, we were bringing a ton of people on their campus that, um, that needed to hear from these bands and from their staff and, um, every night, uh, doing a show there, we were, uh, presenting the gospel and talking about Jesus from the stage. Right. And we thought that was great. Um, they were for the most part happy with us. And then I think that uh, looking back on it now, you know, it, it didn't make a lot of sense for the culture of that specific church. Uh, we were pretty extreme. You know, we had the chariot literally play at their <laughs> church. It doesn't get much more extreme than that. Um, that's probably the most wild band that any church could have play. Right. Um, I know as well that they were in a big transition with their church, with staff, with 
Um, they had just sold all their property in downtown Chattanooga, moved out to Hunter Road. Right. And mm-hmm. they were Good also point, yeah. they were also wanting to start meeting on Sundays in the actual gymnasium that we were using as the venue. So that posed a couple problems and issues and logistics of like they wanted to set up, you know, three or four hundred chairs and redo the stage to look appropriate for a Sunday morning Baptist church. Um, you know, obviously there was a skate park in there and we had right. PA and the lighting rig to look that made sense for us, but they were wanting to go that, that route and direction with their own congregation. And uh, so that changed a lot too. So there was a, a bunch of different pieces that went into it, but all in all, they told us that we had broken curfew and it was kind of our fault and that we needed to go our separate ways. So um, it was a huge bummer and um, we were all pretty shocked and just really, yeah. Um, really upset at the time, not with them as a church or any particular just person. Just more the situation because yeah, we just literally just gotten out of a situation where we had been kicked out of somewhere that was a really right. good wasn't thing really for our us. fault at all, right? Yeah. So this was just uh, you know another momentum killer and pretty and, much uh, yeah. But we still we still had Cleveland and we exactly. were still booking mm-hmm. shows, and then we'd still had access to a couple other places to where if we wanted to book. So we didn't let it completely ruin our spirits. So we, we kind of just kept exactly. moving and kept trucking. So. It just felt, yeah, I guess the, the best thing, like you were saying, is it felt like a bummer. And it definitely felt kind of out of nowhere um, at the time. But I guess, like you said, looking back on it, there was a lot kind of going on in the background and maybe working against us and yeah, some stuff it was that the didn't clash. have to do with us. There yeah. was a large clash of two cultures. Um with oh, just who we were <laughs> attracting to these concert <laughs> events and kind of like their normal congregation and their normal uh, church folk, you know, it's just two totally different worlds. And, um, and it, and it was, it is hard for those two to find common ground and to meet and to make it work long-term. So, um, right. So it makes sense to me that it didn't last long-term, but at the time it still hurt and it still was a bummer. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. But like you said, we still had Cleveland going strong. We're still holding shows all the time. Um, But the numbers started to decline, even for the Cleveland warehouse, where we could only hold 50 or 60 people in there. Um, But we weren't even having that many people come out regularly anymore. Um, I guess it was... Also kind of a time just in general for live music where numbers were declining. So that probably also hurt us where the popularity of the internet was just really starting to grab people's attention more and more so uh, with streaming devices, uh, YouTube, you being able to watch any band you want, uh, play some concert from Warp Tour or whatever from years past. So why would you go and pay money to go see them in person when you could just do that for free at home? Um, there's a lot going against it. Um, a lot of our local bands that used to help bring out people to the shows that were a part of this community that we cultivated at um, all these other venues that we'd had in these different cities were all starting to kind of die off and move on, get older, kind of mature out of the music scene and maybe on to doing other things. Um, And we weren't having near as many bands come up and kind of help cultivate that community anymore. Like we were trying the best we could, you know, we were putting on shows, we were 
trying to be there. But I mean, I remember at the time it feeling discouraging just over a period of time. It probably the start of it was our break off with um, Camp Joy and Harrison. And then things just kind of slowly declining over what do we say? Maybe about a six to eight month period. Right. There yeah. is what we had left in in Cleveland. Um, so tell me a little bit about what you remember about that time, maybe what was going on um, personally with you also with the time. Um, yeah. And if you feel like some of the stuff I was talking about was also kind of contributing to it. Yeah. I think looking back on it now, it definitely, there was a decline in the music industry. Uh, well, as far as uh, local and venues and, and just uh, live concerts, I guess, like you said. You just in too. general, really. Yeah, yeah, it was just a lot of things happening with social media, with uh, online, with different things. And a lot of bands that we had cultivated in 2008, 9, 10, a lot of them had started breaking up and moving on and doing different things. So we had a few new bands, you know, some younger, uh, some younger high school bands and college bands but it just wasn't really a strong and it wasn't enough to really sustain a good local community. Right. So, it wasn't the uh, same and it wasn't necessarily their fault. Right. Because right. You, like when we were in East Ridge, we were bringing in these bands and tour packages that kids were excited about. They were interested in. Yeah. Right. But then with having such a smaller space with not having near as many, um, bands that were as popular coming through anymore, then that just kind of, sucks the life out of it you don't have yeah. as many kids coming out that maybe have never been there before or right. the kids that are your regu- your regulars not near as excited to come out to the shows because they're not seeing the bands they really like anymore and if the kids aren't there they're not going to meet other people that have similar interests to start new bands it all just kind of right. goes together and trickles down and kind of cause what happened yeah for sure and then um I know that in 2013, um, I had my grandfather passed away, which I was really, really close to right, right before Harrison had opened. And so that did take a toll on me kind of mentally and uh, personally with uh, me and both of my brothers, you know, had a hard mm-hmm. time dealing with that. And so um, so all of 2013, I'm kind of going through grief. Um, I also met my wife that year. I know that you and Heather got engaged that year. Right. Um, I ended up getting engaged later on that year. There was a lot, and not just us, but there was many, there was other staff members going through some changes and absolutely and mm-hmm. um, doing different things with school, with work, with uh, relationships. So it just, the season began to really, really shift in 2013 um, for all of us. And so I felt like, and for the better, I mean, it was for the good. We all um, um, had a great time. And I, I tell people when they ask about the warehouse, I say, uh, I made a lot of mistakes, but I don't have any regrets uh, as far as, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. And I do think what we did and what we were able to do, I'm proud of it. And I am just extremely grateful that so many people supported us, the staff and all the bands all those years we were able to do what we did. Um, and I mean, six years for a venue is, is a long time because most don't last more than two. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we just made a very small dent in the music history of our city and of Cleveland and Chattanooga. Um, but it was, um, still very grateful and just the relationships, you know, 
have just went on and I still this week I bet I've texted two or three guys that were parts part of bands that were from out of town mm-hmm. and I'm still close with a lot of the the guys and girls that were in these bands and and uh and a lot of the people who came to the to the venue as well um so uh without it a lot of us wouldn't be where we're at today we wouldn't be in the relationships that we're in today and and uh so I'm extremely grateful for that yeah it's hard to um it's hard to look back um well, especially at this time period in particular where we were as a venue really on a decline in that six to eight months. And then, um, especially for me, looking back on it, I was pretty personally, I was pretty discouraged with the venue and as a business just in general and, um, was really starting to focus more so on my personal life with getting engaged and wanting to take my job more seriously and, um, all that kind of stuff. Right. And it seemed like you were kind of in the, in the same boat as well as a lot of the other staff, we were just kind of growing out of it. We were a little burnout, I think too. Yeah. I mean, when you, we'd been doing this every weekend for six years, at least every weekend. And when we talked about East Ridge, we were doing it, gosh, so often, sometimes uh, four or five times a week. Um, at times. And so when you look back, I wish, you know, we still had that notebook. We could add up how many shows it was total. It would probably shock us at right. at this point in our lives that we <laughs> wanted to go out in public and do that so often. Right. Yeah. And spend all of our time, like after, after going and working our job for eight to 10 hours a day to make money and then go and spend another, you know, maybe six to eight hours doing this, you know, basically a whole nother job, but it was just something that we loved and something that we had right. vision for. And like you were saying, I, I definitely, I look back on it and I don't regret any of it because of all the relationships that we've made over time with people that came from out of town um, and bands that, you know, or even as fans, people that would come consistently to shows um, that ended up having relationships with us and being close friends. Um, and then, you know, obviously with both of us, um, we ended up making um, relationships for a lifetime with our spouses in that amount of time too. Right. And a lot of the other staff is also. And so it's, I definitely look back on it as something really special. And I'm sure it was for a lot of people. It was, I know just from the feedback we've gotten from the other two episodes, you, you kind of forget until you see a lot of the people talking about it, that this thing that we just, we did because we want to make a difference in our city. And then sometimes just to have fun because we like live music, you know, mm-hmm. we enjoyed doing this kind of thing, but ended up having such a positive impact and shaping people's lives for years to come. And so many people too, and it's very humbling also. Yeah. Um, to think that we were able to kind of reach so many different people at so many different um, points of their lives and kind of help them help steer them in a positive direction to where maybe in they're in a, a great point of their life and they might not have been there without um, the warehouse and maybe the relationships with people they made at the warehouse and all that. So yeah, it was, um, it was something really special. It's something that, we probably couldn't duplicate again now if we tried, but I don't think we've, we've got it in our old bones now to even try. <laughs> yeah. People ask me pretty often, you know, if I will um, ever want to open up another place or want to 
do a music venue again. And I think my answer is pretty consistent of, um, I would love to one day, but, um, all the pieces would have to fall perfectly together and it would just have to be a huge open door for me to step back into something like that. Um, it's just, it, it's a totally different, it was a totally different time of life. And for sure the financial weight and burden of it is just, is huge. No matter, um, no matter if you have money or not, which obviously we didn't, we were a bunch right. of younger kids in our twenties and, um, we had nothing going into it except for a ton of passion and, um, and love for our local music community. And, um, for me personally, love for Jesus and for most of our staff as well. So, um, so that's really all we had. And that kept us going and kept the light burning for, for about six years there. And, um, and so, uh, so all those things would have to line up again properly, uh, for, for us to do anything like that. But I, I have really appreciated that there are others that we helped kind of inspire along the way uh, that have started booking concerts and events. There still are a few bands that are still going, and I'm hoping that in the future uh, we get to talk about some of that. And, um, but I, I am grateful that there are still people out here doing things for the local music community, uh, particularly in the heavy, in the heavy scene. Uh, there's always going to be a lot going on and kind of the singer songwriter, the open mics, the folk, the uh, maybe, maybe even country, maybe indie rock. But, um, but we're, we're obviously biased a little bit more towards, uh, towards the heavy music scene and we right. love it. So uh, I'm grateful. There are some, a few folks still doing it now and still keeping it going and uh, just hopeful that probably towards the end of this year, we will see live concerts come back strong. And um, I'm excited for that. Absolutely. All right. I think that pretty much wraps up our uh, three-part series here on our time with running a music venue in the greater Chattanooga area called The Warehouse. Um, Like we were saying, we really appreciate everybody for tuning in to this series so far. Um, we're hoping to do some more episodes in the future, kind of on just the general history of aggressive music in Chattanooga. Um, so stay tuned. We'll definitely um, let everybody know when we've got new episodes coming out. But um, this kind of wraps up these warehouse years for us, um, for all ages music uh, between, I guess, 2008 and about 2014. Yeah, yeah. Oh.